Hey, everybody, if you want to tell the world something or sell the world something, head on over to Squarespace because they're going to help you build the website of your dreams. Say you want to sell some custom merch. Well, you can set up your online store, whether you sell physical, digital, or service products. Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. So go to squarespace.com stuff right now and you will face a free trial. And when you get ready to launch, use our offer code stuff and then you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. How could you go wrong with Squarespace? When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts season two of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. We want to let you know that that great LP, the vinyl record of stuff you should know about how vinyl works, it sold so well that Born Losers Records has printed more, right? Yeah, we're in our second pressing, Chuck. That's how great it was. And they're printing 500 more, and now's the time to go get them. You can order them now, and they're in two new awesome color slash styles uh, that you can go see. Uh, go check out our website, stuffyoushouldknow.com, and click on the button SYSK Vinyl, and it will give you all the facts and info you need, or just search Stuff You Should Know Vinyl, and Born Losers will come up too. That's the official site. So if you got shut out from the last press, well, hallelujah, here's pressing two. You're welcome. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's here too. And this is Stuff You Should Know, the Harlem Globetrotter edition. It's a little on the nose as far as edition names go, but it is what it is. How's that? Pretty great. Oh, are you going to follow up? I was just egging you on. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I get a little off key because it goes in some, you know, more subtle directions. It does. And what you're referring to is, of course, the song Sweet Georgia Brown by uh, Brother Bones, right? Brother Bones, who was a halftime musical act for the Globetrotters. And as the story goes was like, hey, I got this banging, whistled version of Sweet Georgia Brown that uh, I'm doing during your little uh, magic circle routine, and it stuck for 70 years. Yeah, they they decided to make it basically their unofficial, official team song. And if you remember, right. that was my first 45 record ever. <laughs> was it really? Yeah, after seeing the Globetrotters, oh, God, I was like, that's I right. love that song. So my dad took me to probably Peaches Records in Toledo, and I got the 45. All right, well, let's talk real quick. So you saw the Globetrotters in what year, roughly? My guess is it would have been 82, 83. Uh, I mean, that's, if not, you know, uh, the golden era, just sort of. It's just on, after. Just after the golden era. Curly was uh, still there, but Meadowlark oh, left. Okay, I loved watching the Harlem Globetrotters on uh, Wide World of Sports or wherever they played them on Sunday afternoons. Mm -hmm. I thought it was the best thing ever. I love basketball. I love comedy. I thought it was funny. Oh, well, but, they, they were right up your alley. Then. <laughs> but I did not see the Harlem Globetrotters, my friend, until last year. Oh, really? 
Yeah, I took uh, Ruby and Emily and uh, my father-in-law, Steve, mm-hmm. and uh, Scotty, who mm-hmm. you know. Sure, of course. And we went and saw the Harlem Globetrotters here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, dude, I was like a kid all over again. I, it was so much fun. All those old bits they did, and it was genuinely funny. Like, it wasn't like, oh, well, this is quaint and sort of old-fashioned. Like, I was, Scotty and I were dying laughing, and we just had the best time. I highly recommend you, anyone should still go. It's still so much fun. Yeah, I would, after doing this research, I would definitely go to see them. And They have a uh, 2023-24 world tour plan, which I think is pretty much par for the course with them every year. Yep. But if you look, you're like, wow, they're in three different cities on this one day. Uh, And it's because, uh, which is a longstanding tradition with the Globetrotters, they are, have so many great players that they'll split them into multiple teams and just send them out around the country. So there is a 100% chance, essentially, that they are coming within probably 20 miles of whatever yeah. town you live in. Yeah, go see them. It's a lot of fun. I mean, they still just have so much personality. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, at least at the one I saw, who sort of is the Metal Arc Lemon, who sort of is the ringleader. Uh, but he was just he had so much charisma mm-hmm. and they're great basketball players. It's, so it's it's modernized a little bit, but it's still what it always has been. And uh, it, it was just so much fun. What's funny is, Chuck, is that them being great basketball players is actually a throwback to their original, um, I guess, kind of iteration. Look at you <laughs> bringing it all around. I like to do that sometimes. So are we in the 1920s then? Yeah, at the beginning of the Harlem Globetrotters, it actually predates the Harlem Globetrotters in, I think, the early to mid-1920s. That's right. So we're going to set up sort of basketball at the time, which is to say basketball is pretty new. Uh, It was not hugely popular as far as if you want to compare it to football and baseball. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was was well into third place, if that, uh, behind, you know, horse racing. And I'm sure a lot of other things were more popular at the time. High lie. The NBA didn't even come around until 49, so this was quite a while before that. And uh, what they did have, though, and we've seen this in other uh, sports and other sort of um, uh, entertainment, uh, it was was touring, but they called it barnstorming. It was when you traveled around to different small towns, and they would get teams together to go on these little tours and barnstorm and play each other in, uh, you know, essentially exhibition games because there wasn't a league, Mm -hmm. but they were, you know, competitive, real basketball games. Yeah. They'd be like, hey, you hayseeds, look at this. Yeah, exactly. Um, Sometimes also, like, there there wouldn't even be a team, but, like, some of these teams would go play locals, Mm -hmm. like local groups of farmers or whatever would take these teams on. And I don't know why, but I think it was maybe, like, how sometimes wrestlers will take on any comers at, like, some small town or whatever. Yeah. But uh, so that's the beginnings of basketball. And it's really interesting that, like, there were people out there who loved the game enough that they made a career for themselves for it. They figured out how to do it. And this was really, really close to the beginning of the Harlem Globetrotters. Uh, And in fact, the group that originally formed the first Harlem Globetrotters started out as um, players at Wendell Phillips High School, an all-black high school in Chicago, uh, that said, hey, we're pretty good. Let's go start a barnstorming team ourselves. That's right. And this is uh, either in 25 or 26. Uh, They didn't have a name at first. They were sponsored by the Southside Giles Post of the American Legion. (laughs) So there are some sources that'll say they were the 
They were called the Giles Post-American Legion Quintet. Okay. Uh, but then another thing happened. Uh, the Savoy Ballroom in Chicago in uh, Bronzeville, it was a uh, black-owned entertainment venue, very popular. And on the weekends, they would have these big dances, and they thought, well, hey, why don't we have a little opening act and have a basketball game before these dances? Maybe it'll sell some more tickets, and at the very least, it'll be fun and sort of get people going before the big dance. And in 1926, they hired that Wendell Phillips team, and they named them the Savoy Big Five. Yeah. And I don't know how long they played for this dance hall, the Savoy uh, Ballroom. But I don't I don't get the impression it was very long because I think that they weren't moving tickets like the owners thought they would. And so they moved on to something else. I can't remember what it was, but they basically got rid of the the basketball team, which left them essentially free agents. And it it's kind of lost to history exactly how this happened. But a guy named Abe Saperstein came in and attached himself to the Savoy Big Five scooped them up after they were fired, took them away from the Savoy. Who knows? But this is about the time in the mid to late 1920s, about the mid-1920s, where Abe Saperstein comes in. And you can say, like, without uh, qualification, that had it not been for Abe Saperstein entering, there would be no Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah, for sure. Uh, He was born in London, but he was raised in, uh, he was Jewish and raised in an Irish-German neighborhood in Chicago, and he was a little guy. He loved basketball, but they say he was like, you know, 5'3", five, 5'4", five, something like that. So really small to be playing basketball, even at the time when guys weren't super tall playing basketball, generally. Yeah. Uh, or you could be, you know, a little shorter and still get by. But uh, he would um, play his little heart out. He tried out for the University of Illinois team and did not make the team and then dropped out and worked for the Chicago Parks Department mm-hmm. uh, as a playground supervisor and if you, you know, listen to him sort of tell his own story of the lore, uh, he's going to say, like, you know, I saw these guys playing basketball on the playground. I'd never seen basketball played like this before. And I knew right away that, you know, I had to get these guys and, you know, make them like the best team that they could be. Right. Um, that's the that's the lore. Again, it's kind of lost to history. But the I think by the nineteen like nineteen twenty six nineteen twenty seven, Abe Saperstein was attached to this group of players from Wendell Phillips High School um, that would become the the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah, and one of the first thing he did uh, was change that name because he wanted to take them barnstorming. Yeah, he's like I can make some money here, so he named them the Harlem Globetrotters right out of the gate because he was a savvy marketing guy. And he's bringing this team on the road in these, like, small towns in, in Kansas and Indiana mm-hmm. who had never, you know, who who knows how much interaction they had with black people in rural Kansas at the time. Right. They At the very least, they probably hadn't seen an all-black basketball team right. come through town. Yeah. So he was like, this is a sellable thing, you know, to turn these people onto this. And so Harlem, like, everybody knows what Harlem represents. It's the center of black culture. Uh, in the 1920s. So if I put Harlem on the name, it's they're immediately going to know this is a black team. And if I call them the Globetrotters, even though we're really not Globetrotting yet, they're going to, you know, it's just, it's going to gussy them up to where they sound like this sort of worldly team that's been been everywhere playing this sport. And it just has a nice ring together and it should sell some tickets. 
Yeah, I mean, he was right. It definitely does have a nice ring, but it's ironic that this the Harlem Globetrotters originated in Chicago yeah. and apparently didn't play their first game in Harlem until 1968. Yeah. yeah, it had nothing to do with Harlem, I don't think. So, like, it took 40 years for them to finally get to play in Harlem, right. But it was a, it was, you could almost call it today a dog whistle that would would guarantee that no, you know, Kansas farmer would show up at this game thinking he was coming to see a white basketball team and getting right. like racially angry that he had been tricked into giving his money to a black basketball team. In addition to just kind of signaling that, it also did say like, but not only is this like a black team, this is like a black team from the greatest black city in America. Yeah. So it's prestigious totally. too, but it also was a signal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Saperstein, he coached, he was with the team for a long time. He coached them into his 60s and he was uh you know, criticized many times throughout the years for uh, being too controlling, mm-hmm. for underpaying his guys, mm-hmm. for not giving them any say in like what they did or how they did it. Kind of like I'm the boss and you do what I say uh, for perpetuating uh, racial stereotypes. He was not some perfect guy, uh, but he also, you know, as we'll see in his own way, eventually led to, you know, the integration of the NBA and putting uh, black players on a stage that no one had ever done before and sort of elevating their perception to the rest of America and, as you'll see, the rest of the world. Yeah, and he was in, inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame in 1971. And I don't dispute the impact that he had on it, but it is, he definitely, he went, it wasn't like mischievous or like in the gray area. He swindled some of his players. Oh, yeah. He told um, one star player later uh, on, uh, Marcus Haynes, that he believed um, black players didn't deserve or didn't need as much money as white players. They just didn't, black people just didn't need as much money. And that was why he underpaid his black players. Apparently they found out once that a group of white college all-stars that was touring as a warm-up act for the Globetrotters was getting paid more than the Globetrotters. Um, he did a lot of really shady underhanded stuff. So he's a good study in one of those things that's like, okay, this he was not like a sterling example of somebody, even for his time, but he also did do some really amazing things that benefited a lot of black people during his lifetime and well beyond today, actually, because you can kind of give him credit for giving the NBA the the stability it needed to, to take off on its own, too. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? That's also, and this is not defending him, but that this is also the history of pro sports ownership. Right. Like in a nutshell, this is how it was almost with everybody uh, as far as not integrating the leagues and sort of the ownership aspect. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's why players still complain about this stuff. That's why they formed players unions and banded together for like, you know, better treatment and better pay. And Mm -hmm. we're you're not going to just pay us a little bit amount of money and you take everything else. Right. Uh, It's interesting. We should I don't know. Maybe there's an episode in there somewhere about like the history of sports ownership because it's fraught with stories like this. I could totally see that. I could totally. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. But to kind of wrap up Saperstein, at least at his introduction, he owned the Globetrotters, not just the team, not just the name, like the Globetrotters. He believed not, he believed that that if you wanted to play on his team, he was the boss. He was in charge. He called the shots. He was not to be questioned. He even yeah. called himself coach to these players that did not need a coach, but they kind of humored him and played along. 
but he was in charge and his whole jam was I'm creating a place where if you're a black basketball player and you're good, this is the team you want to be on. Yeah. He created that. Absolutely. Uh, Good time for a break, I think. Good setup. And we'll come back and talk a little bit about uh, what you were talking about earlier, the fact that they were not comedians at first. Hey, everybody, it's time you heard about Squarespace. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own website, whether it's an online course or custom merch. Squarespace has you covered. That's right. Courses is a great program. You can start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with a powerful Fluid Engine editor. That's right. With Fluid Engine, which is a next generation website design system, by the way, it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. That's right. And don't forget the commerce side, because after that, you can charge a one time fee or you can even sell a subscription. Yeah. So turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. And right now, go to squarespace.com slash stuff for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code stuff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 2512-928887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. Hey everybody, we're here to tell you about Viator, a tool that you can use to plan and book travel experiences around the world. That's right. The Viator app and website make it easy to explore 300,000 plus travel experiences so you can discover what's out there no matter where you're traveling or what you're interested in. Yep. Viator can help you plan better travel experiences. 300,000 plus travel experiences to choose from means you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. That's right. You can also enjoy real traveler reviews to get insider information from people who've already been on the experience that you're considering. Plus, you get free cancellation that helps you plan for the unexpected. Yeah. And Viator offers 24-7 customer service, so you know you'll get support at any hour if things aren't going as planned. So download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find the perfect travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
All right. So we are back uh, with promise to talk about the Harlem Globetrotters as a serious basketball team because that is what they were for many years. Uh, they did not come out of the gate doing, uh, you know, the confetti in a bucket trick. Uh, they came out playing some really good basketball uh, to the tune of a record uh, reportedly of 101 and 6 over their first 117 games or so. Yeah. And they traveled uh, throughout the 30s. Uh, they would pile, apparently, into Abe Saperstein's um, giant Model T, and they would play eight games a week for 25 bucks a game for the entire team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saperstein, they would split it up, but Saperstein would get two shares. Mm-hmm. And uh, back then, that wasn't even a lot of money, uh, but they loved the game, and they were getting paid to play it. No, today, they would be making a, $500 a week. So yeah. you had to love the game to be doing that, for sure, because for sure. it was a lot of—it was hard work— in addition to traveling constantly, too. So the people who are playing, like, really love to play, and this is the one place they could play and make any money at it. And by the way, that winning percentage, it's 0.863 win percentage in their first year. And only the 2015-16 Warriors and the 95-96 Bulls had better win percentages, and they each only played 82 games. These guys played 117. Yeah. And it's kind of jokey now because everyone knows the general's aren't supposed to win, but the, as of 2022, the, um, win loss uh, ratio for the Harlem Globetrotters was 27,000 to 345. (laughs) By the way, if you don't know, the generals are the team that they always play now on their road show. Right. Uh, We kind of assume people know that, but we'll talk about them at the end. Yeah. Can't not talk about the generals. Wait, everybody, just wait a second. (laughs) So they're traveling around the country. Uh, when they play in the North, they're playing against white teams and black teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a team called the New York Renaissance, the Wrens. They were the first all-black professional basketball team. Uh, when they went to the South, this was the Jim Crow South, uh, they would play in front of uh, black crowds and uh, only against black teams. And it was, it was rough. They, you know, they were in a, in a South that was uh, obviously segregated, not treating them equally, not letting them stay in hotels not letting them eat in restaurants. Uh, there was one story, uh, Dave uh, Ruse helped us with this. He dug up that uh, in Nebraska, they had to sleep in the county jail because they could not find a hotel that would house them. Mm. Yeah. They also, um, the, uh, the, the, they would play two games a night in the South because they would play in front of a black crowd and then they would go across town and play in front of a white crowd. So they would play two two a day. I'm not sure if they got paid for both games or not. Um, but yeah, it was a, a in addition to riding around in a Model T with five other people and getting 25 bucks a game, you also had to just face blatant, horrible racism every every day of your life, basically, especially when you were touring the South. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they were a really good team, though, and they wanted to prove that they were among the best uh, of, of any color in the country. Mm-hmm. And they entered the uh, the World Basketball Championship in 1940 and won this tournament. It was a 14-team tournament in Chicago and beat the hometown Chicago Bruins to win the title. Uh, and this was, again, pre-NBA. This is when the only thing that was around was the, it was called the National Basketball League at the time, the NBL. And it was white white teams only, right? All black teams yeah. were independent. And there were other good black teams too, like the um, New York Renaissance, the Wrens. They were like the Globetrotters, but they were serious. They only played serious basketball. There was no clowning whatsoever. 
And they actually were huge rivals, not just on the court, but off the court as well for players, for advancing their team, um, for getting crowds. Like it was a, they were both trying to carve out a place for themselves in the same space. And there was not really enough space for both. Yeah, for sure. Um, as for how the clowning around started mm-hmm. and the comedy element, it's it sort of um, depends on who you ask. Uh, some people will say that uh, barnstorming in the 40s started losing steam. And so Saperstein, as the sort of Svengali, came up with this idea to keep the show going by incorporating these funny bits. Uh, other people will say that it just sort of kind of slowly evolved from the fact that they were uh, even before the clowning around, they were playing a different style of basketball mm-hmm. than what white teams were playing at the time, which is a lot of like, it, it's kind of funny to look at old basketball clips, these little two handed <laughs> flat footed set shots mm-hmm. and uh, lots and lots and lots of passing, uh, not a lot of dribbling. Um, all of a sudden these guys come in and they're uh, running fast breaks. Uh, Dave said they dunked. I, I looked into the history of the dunk and it's, I think that the first dunk was in 1936. Hmm. So it is plausible that they were dunking the basketball. Because immediately I was like, I don't think people were dunking at all back then. If anybody was, it was them, though. Yeah, well, the first person who dunked wasn't a globetrotter. But it it was, you know, it wasn't, I think it was looked at as kind of a rude thing to do in a, a basketball game early on. Well, it also seemed to be taken as wrong. Like the right way to do like it was cheat. to pass yeah. five times and then you sh- you you took your shot. And yeah. the, the Globetrotters weren't playing like that at all. They were playing like what you see when you watch a modern basketball game. And in fact, there was a 2021 letter, open letter from the Globetrotters to the NBA saying, you know, we basically created the style of play that is like the NBA now. Mm-hmm. Why don't you let us in and, and give us a franchise? Um, of course, the NBA just, I think, completely ignored it. But they make a really good case that, like, the style of play today dates back to the um, the Globetrotters starting this stuff in the 30s and 40s. And if you watch, like, clips of, say, like, Curly Neal in, like, the 70s shooting, oh, yeah. shooting like, a half-court three-pointer, he looks exactly like Steph Curry does today. Yeah. When you watch, the, when you watch Steph Curry do the same thing, they have the same exact motion. Everything about that shot is the exact same. But Curly Neal is doing it like 50 years earlier. Yeah, absolutely. And this was way earlier than Curly Neal, too. Yeah, I mean, people didn't take half-court three-pointers outside of the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah, and that was sort of when things started getting a little more interesting. Another story is that they uh, were blowing people out so much, they started getting bored and kind of just messing around. Mm -hmm. And they would do no-look passes, and they would take these super long hook shots, and people went crazy for it. Uh, supposedly, one of the original set, uh, Savoy Big Five, uh, this guy Big Jack Johnson, was the guy who kind of started developing these tricks. He was a, a big giant of a man, and he's the guy who would put another player on his shoulders uh, to go in and uh, dunk the ball. He's the guy who started drop kicking it from the free throw line, uh, and so. You know, this is sort of the the er version of what we would later see uh, to be followed by uh, Reese Tatum, uh, Goose Tatum, who is known as the clown prince of the Globetrotters. He's a guy that really ramped up the antics. Yeah, he apparently got his clowning start on the Indianapolis Clowns, which was a baseball team, which were essentially the Globetrotters of baseball at the time in the Negro Leagues. Um, and he was 16 when he started playing for them. So 
he kind of was already exposed to the idea of joking around while you're playing serious professional sports um, by the time he got to the Globetrotter. So he was like kind of a natural person to, to bring that. So it makes a lot of sense that he would have been kind of like the real colonel that, that created that. I, I don't think that those stories of where it came from, it evolving over time, and Abe Saperstein saying we need to, to do some clowning because the crowds are getting bored are mutually exclusive. I think that they yeah. could have happened together because apparently the crowds were getting bored. They would just blow out the opponent so much that it was like, what's, what's the point of seeing these games? So when they, they figured out that when they were clowning, though, the crowds really responded to it. And eventually over time, that would come to serve them well because as other basketball players in like the NBA got better and better and started adopting more and more Globetrotters techniques, the, all, the tech, the, all the Globetrotters had left was the clowning aspect. So that's kind of what yeah. they became. So it's a really neat evolution that it, I, it makes sense that this all took place over coming up on 100 years. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and interestingly, Goose Tatum was, you know, sort of an early example of a, uh, a two-way sports star. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe the Globetrotters had ended up having four different former professional baseball players on their team. Oh, wow. So there were, you know, the the Bo Jacksons and the Deion Sanders uh, way back then doing their thing. Sure. So Goose was the one who came up with some of these gags that they still use today. Uh, Like, they're still doing the same stuff, man. Well, if it's Uh, funny, it's funny. I guess so. The the spying, like, going over in the other team's huddle, he came up with that. They still do that. Uh, Hiding in the crowd from the ref, they still do that. It still kills. That's hilarious. (laughs) Uh, the, when you faint on the court and someone waves, takes off your shoe and puts it over your nose and you, you know, you start up, they still do that. Mm-hmm. And that all came from goose. Those things make people from eight to 80 just laugh. I know. But if you're seven or you're 81, forget it. Yeah. Uh, Marcus Haynes was another guy in 1946. He came along. Uh, he was a former college uh, basketball star mm-hmm. and he's the guy that kind of, um, was the inspiration for Curly Neal. He's the guy that first started doing like the insane dribbling and sliding around on his knees and keeping that dribble alive and dribbling between other people's legs and dribbling in circles around people. He was the first, you know, ball handling master. Yeah, that's kind of like one of the the Globetrotter characters that they always kind of filled at one time or another. And like today Mm -hmm. it's um, Sherelle George, known as Torch, and apparently she holds the world record for most under-the-leg under tumbles in a minute. So it's where you're dribbling real low to the ground, and then you, you basically do um, a somersault while you dribble the ball between your legs. And then when you come up on the somersault, the ball goes right back to your hand. She did 32 of those, one after the other, in, in one minute. And that's I buy that being the world record for sure. Did you say she? I did say she because she is one of three women on the um, the Harlem Globetrotters team. That's right. And think about that. If the Globetrotters did somehow get their own franchise in the NBA, the NBA then would be um, integrated among the sexes as well. How nuts would that be if they not only pushed the NBA to integrate racially, but also um, by sex as well? Well... I think if they said you get a franchise, they wouldn't just bring over these players. They would start fresh and draft players. And 
I don't do know, like man. any other expansion team. Because these players are great, but they're not NBA. They'd be in the NBA if they were NBA caliber. It's true. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, that's where they get these players. They're players from college that were really good that couldn't go any further. Okay, that's new. That's a generally new phenomenon that probably started in the 80s. Uh, I would say probably 70s, but sure. Okay, but prior so to that. Just 50 years. But prior to that, the, the Harlem, and this is significant, the Harlem Globetrotters were a place where you would go, um, you could go and, and create a career for yourself and, oh, yeah. and be as good, if not better, than the best people in the NBA. And the Globetrotters proved that over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean, this was pre-NBA, so it wasn't even a thing yet still at this point. Okay. So the Magic Circle we mentioned with Sweet Georgia Brown, that's another thing uh, they're very famous for. It's when they uh, pre-game they'll, or, and at halftime, they'll stand around in their circle. Sweet Georgia Brown plays on the loudspeakers, mm -hmm. and they do that thing where they're going behind their back, they're doing all these ball tricks, they're spinning it on their finger. Uh, it's just a little, little fun warm-up to get everybody excited. <laughs> right, and it works like a charm. It does. Uh, you want to take a break or keep going? Uh, let's keep going. Okay, so one of the biggest watershed moments in Globe Charter history was in 1948 when um, the Globe Charters challenged the Minneapolis Lakers, whose name makes way more sense than the Los Angeles Lakers, <laughs> yeah. as I've said multiple times on this show. Yeah. Um, who were the champions of the World Basketball or National Basketball League um, at the time, challenged them to a game. And the Lakers were all white, and their team was centered around a guy named George McCann or Mikan. And he was Mikan, yeah. six feet 10, wore glasses, and um, could just, he, he just took shots whenever he wanted, and he made basically all of them. There's just nothing you could do to stop him. And he was a huge reason that Minneapolis was, were the champs. And um, in February of 1948, the, the Globetrotters played the Lakers and they beat them. And they beat them like at the buzzer. It was like a really dramatic, really amazing game um, that showed the world like, whoa, 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 these guys who the sports writers consider clowns and not serious just beat the, the champions of a very serious basketball league. What's going on here? Yeah. And uh, in the pre-shot clock era, you could dribble the ball around at the end of the game mm -hmm. uh, until somebody fouled you. And in this case, they could not catch Marcus Haynes, the, the ball handling master. So with less than a minute left and the game was tied, he was dribbling all over the court. Nobody could get to him. He finally, uh, as the time is expiring, gets the ball over to Elmer Robertson, who drains a 20-footer, and they beat the Lakers. And just to show, like, hey, this wasn't some fluke. We're actually a good team. Mm -hmm. They played them again in 1949 and beat them again. Yeah, the following year. And in the Lakers' defense, the Lakers were leading by 10 at the half, and the Globetrotters were doing zero clowning. They were playing straight basketball. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they still almost lost, but they won. So by winning those two back-to-back -back, um, championships, I guess, uh, the the not just the Globetrotters, but also like the Wrens and other black teams showed, like, we've got better players over here. And for you basketball associations that are eventually going to become the NBA, like you're shooting yourselves in the feet by by staying segregated. Like, why would you yeah. do that? Why wouldn't you just want to put together the best team you possibly could regardless of race? And the, the basketball association said racism 
And the Globetrotters said, yes, clearly that's why, but stop doing that. And very quickly, shortly after those two wins against the Lakers, they did start integrating basketball leagues. Yeah, one of the first guys they signed actually in 1950 was a Globetrotter, uh, Sweetwater Clifton. And so, you know, that what Abe Sapertine set out to do to prove they were as good or better than anybody in the pro leagues uh, worked right away. Yeah, and so he, so this was actually like a double-edged sword that gave um, Abe Saperstein like boasting rights, which he did a lot about how the NBA wanted his players. The first player to ever be signed who's black in the NBA came from the Globetrotters. At the same time, though, it would start to become a problem uh, later on as the NBA got better and better and, and stood more and more on its own two feet. That sounds like a great cliffhanger. I think so, too. All right, we'll be right back. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 2512-928887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. Hey there, everybody. Here's some bonus stuff you should know. This time it's about traveling to Orlando for business. Orlando has tons of places to host your conferences and meetings. Dr. Michael Edwards, CEO of Ocean Insight, said it best. Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. And when the day is done, you can kick off each evening at one of 46 Michelin-rated restaurants. What's not to love? So check out Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at orlandoforbusiness.com. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Nat Sweetwater Clifton, by the way, was 
one of the people who was swindled by Abe Saperstein, he sold his contract to, um, I think, the Knicks for $5,000 and gave half of it to um, Clifton, the player. And it turns out he had sold the contract for $20,000 and only gave oh, Nat Clifton $2,500 <laughs> because Nat Clifton thought he was getting half. Like, that's the kind of stuff he would do. Yeah. That's not cool. Well, at least Nat Clifton got to move on. He did move on, for sure. And he was ready to move on, too. They were having disputes over things like pay and everything yeah. and just treatment of players. Um, and, yeah, Nat Clifton was one of the first black greats in the NBA. Yeah, absolutely. So early days of the NBA, they're, it's not gangbusters right away. They're sort of this new league that's struggling to get going. Uh, the Globetrotters are huge stars. Uh, way bigger stars than people in the NBA at the time. Uh, they were in movies. They were in a movie called The Harlem Globetrotters. Okay. Another one called Go Man Go. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Saperstein, you know, ever the businessman in 1950 said, all right, we're we're named the Globetrotters. We're going to start trotting the globe. And so set off on a five-month around-the-world tour to places like Rome and Paris and London, and they ate it up everywhere they went. Oh, yeah. They were treated like celebrities everywhere like they would just sell out tens and tens of thousands of seats in every city that they played a game in um people just hadn't seen anything like it over there and they were just totally wowed and blown over by the globetrotters um the state department actually got in touch with abe saperstein and said hey um you know we're in a cold war with the ussr and they like to to basically point out how poorly black americans are treated back home um, and the Globetrotters kind of suggest otherwise. So what if we make the Globetrotters goodwill ambassadors? And so from that point on, I think in the early 50s, um, they were essentially um, on the State Department team. They were playing in part at the behest of the State Department, who was, I don't know if they were help funding their travels or what, but they were definitely goodwill ambassadors for the United States. Yeah, one of the first things they did was they played in West Berlin, at the Olympic Stadium there, the very stadium uh, where Jesse Owens uh, made his name in uh, 1936 at the Berlin Games mm -hmm. when Hitler very famously refused to shake his hand. Uh, he came in, was helicoptered in. Yeah. Jesse Owens uh, dropped in there on the field, and he ran a ceremonial lap to sort of just get everybody pumped up mm -hmm. before this basketball game in front of 76,000 people. Yeah, and the mayor of West Berlin used it as an opportunity to reconcile um, with, with Jesse Owens on behalf of Germany. And I was reading a, a description of that event, and supposedly the Globetrotters game was, post, was delayed by 10, 15 minutes because the, the ovation given to Jesse Owens and the mayor yeah. was so long. It just kept That's going awesome. and going. So. Um, it was neat just to even read about. It. I can't imagine being there at the time. Oh, man. So they're on this world tour. They are celebrities, uh, and they're treated as such. And they're having a blast, I imagine. They come back home to an America that is still segregated. And uh, Dave found this one just, this is hard to believe and so shameful. Uh, in Jacksonville, Florida, in the early 50s, a hotel refused them service. Uh, and that same hotel uh allowed a chimpanzee named Judy, a celebrity chimpanzee uh, that bowled on television, uh, like bowling, um, set 
Judy up in the presidential suite, yet denied the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah, that was an eye-opening thing for a lot of the Globetrotters at the time. That yeah. It was just that bad. On the one hand, they had, like, the rest of the world to go uh, be received by, and they were. But just the idea that to have to come back home to that, yeah. I mean, it just had to be doubly bitter after being treated so well outside of the United States, outside of home, you know? Of course. This would be a good movie. I know I say that. Totally. For sure. Um, so the late 1950s, the the NBA started to really come into its own. And one of the reasons why I was saying Abe Saperstein can take a lot of credit for the NBA being around today is he agreed to help this fledgling NBA make a name for itself by playing double headers with them, either having the Globetrotters play NBA teams or having the NBA be like the second, the NBA teams were like the second um, game on the a double header bill. Yeah. And apparently most of the time the crowd would just leave after the Globetrotter game, wouldn't stick around for the NBA game. But enough people did that the NBA started to catch on. And it took about 10 years, um, but it was largely thanks to the Globetrotters and Abe Saperstein for getting the NBA to a place where it could stand on its own. And then once it did, now Abe Saperstein and the Globetrotters had a problem because no longer were they the place where a great black basketball player would aspire to go play. They were um, a, a, a way station sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then other people just went directly around the Globetrotters and straight to the NBA. Yeah. You know, it was uh, sort of be careful of what you helped create right. because not only, like you said, are they stealing or not stealing players, but just, you know, uh, signing players away from the Globetrotters. Uh, the Globetrotters weren't necessary anymore as this sort of very high-profile minor league in a way. Uh, Wilt Chamberlain was a Harlem Globetrotter. He played uh, for the 1958 season. Uh, I don't think a lot of people realize that. You know, one of the all-time great NBA players, Wilt the Stilt, uh, was paid 60, supposedly $60,000 uh, to play for the Harlem Globetrotters for that one season, which would be about $600,000 today. Yeah, which is, I think, below the minimum for a starting um, salary in the NBA today anyway. But still, yeah, at but the that's time. a ton of money, and the NBA's salaries are very high. So that brings up something that um, has nothing to do with this, but that came up twice in research when they were talking about um, what the what the Globetrotters made initially—that like three dollars and fifty cents each per game—and mm -hmm. how little amount that that was. It was like sixty-two fifty, I think, a, a, a player a game, and that's a small amount of money in today's today's like money. In today's dollars, right? Yeah. But that seems to indicate a trend that even adjusted for inflation, things today are eye-poppingly more expensive. Like, yeah. I looked up how much uh, those players could have gotten for their $3.50, and I came across, like, a 1928 menu for, like, what seems to be a pretty nice restaurant. And you could get an amazing dinner with dessert and, like, a couple of soups and salad and all that stuff. For like 50 cents, right? Yeah. Today, even in today's dollars, that would be something like $8, $8 or something today. Um, imagine like having a nice dinner for just $8 today. So what yeah. happened is my question. I'm trying to figure out <laughs> how, to, uh, uh, how to come up with the right question to go research what happened. Like why did things get more expensive? Why did people start throwing more money at like basketball players, even adjusted for 
today's dollars? Like what happened? Why did money just blow up in the last like 20, 30 years? Well, in the case of sports, it's because players stood up at one point and were like, wait a minute, the owners are making that kind of money. We're the ones out here that are putting people in the seats and we're making this kind of money. And so they unionized and were able to make great deals over the year every time they sat down at the negotiating table. Okay, but let's say that restaurant that was charging $8 in today's dollar for a really uh-huh. nice, good dinner. Sure. You would you would say, okay, well, maybe there's like more demand for that. More people have more money to go out to dinner, so they're doing that. So the, the restaurants are going to charge more because of supply and demand. There's a higher demand and thus less supply. I would argue there is not less supply. I would say that the supply has increased even more than the, the demand has. And yet that same dinner probably costs three to four times what it should adjusted for today's dollars. Why? Yeah, I see what you mean. I'm sure that somebody will write in and say, well, guys, it's just research the 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 last 40 years of the corporatization of whatever right. or something like there's probably something you can point to that made things go really out of whack. Right. And it wouldn't surprise me if that was it was the consolidation of of wealth and corporations sure. in general. But that's exactly what I'm hoping for bringing this up. I hope somebody who knows what I'm saying, but just don't know how to say it. Yeah, um, like how can we go research this better? Exactly. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Thanks. Um, back to the Harlem Globetrotters, oh, yeah. though. Uh, the NBA is uh, getting these players from the Globetrotters, you know, kind of one after the other. Mm-hmm. And so the Globetrotters are like, all right, well, you know what that means. Um, our days are numbered unless we really lean into this comedy stuff. Yeah. And from sort of the mid-1950s on, it really became uh, the Harlem Globetrotters like basketball fun-time comedy show uh, that we all know and love today, starting with their leader, who you mentioned, Metalark Lemon, who was there from 54 to 78, and he was kind of the central figure. Yeah, they lucked out that Meadowlark Lemon saw a newsreel when he was 11 in 1945 at his movie theater in Wilmington, North Carolina, and decided like he he was going to grow up to be a Harlem Globetrotter. That was his life's pursuit. And he he made it happen. I think in his uh, 20s, uh, he joined the team and became like kind of the the ringmaster of the whole thing. Um, He became far and away their greatest star not just of his era, but of like all time, essentially. Meadowlark Lemon is well known, even yeah, outside of he's people. the name you think of. Exactly, for sure. Um, he was the one who led the crew on um, Scooby-Doo. He yeah, was at the, you're going to say He that. was at the heart of the Harlem Globetrotter um, car- Saturday morning cartoon. Uh-huh. Like that kind of stuff. Like it was all Meadowlark all the time. And I get the impression that some of the other members of the team were not super happy about exactly how inequitable things were, but it, he definitely brought the the crowds in. He was a huge crowd pleaser for sure. Yeah, he's the guy who invented the confetti bit, which is uh, you're chasing a referee down with what everyone thinks is a bucket of water, and uh, he throws it into the stands and misses the referee, and everyone goes crazy, but it's really confetti. Mm-hmm. Still works somehow. Uh, he's the one that started pulling everyone's shorts down and pantsing everybody. Sure. Referees, fellow players, uh, Washington generals. He's the guy that started doing that half-court hook shot, uh, which a, a guy still does that now. They're keeping that tradition alive. I think it was – they have a guy from Atlanta, because at least in the one I saw, because it was you know played up that it was a hometown show for him. Mm-hmm. And he was the guy that was shooting the half-court hook shot. And he didn't make any of them, but he came really, really close. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, it's very hard to do. Supposedly, Metal Ark Lemon was so good at it that he would nail it 70% of the time. I I'm not so sure about that. Well, he has but. a lot of legend around him. Like he, even on the Hall of Fame, Basketball Hall of Fame website, he's credited with playing 16,000 games as a globetrotter. And all you have to do is the math and you'll see that that's basically impossible. He would have had to have played, um, he, he oh would boy, have had to have go. played two games a day, every uh-huh. day for 21 years. Yeah, to reach that number. And he was only with the Globetrotters for 24 years, and I'm quite sure yeah. the math still doesn't wash out. But um, it, it just kind of goes to show like how willing everybody is to go along with it. That's how good of a ball player he was, that they're like, yeah, it's that's probably not that far off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as far as the, sort of the perception and legacy of the Globetrotters uh, at the time, uh, some looked down upon them from the civil rights community. Mm-hmm. And said that, you know, you guys are perpetuating these stereotypes. You're sort of doing an, an, a basketball version of a, of a traveling minstrel show. Uh, other people said, no, that's not what's going on. Uh, no less than Jesse Jackson would stand up for them. Mm-hmm. And his quote was, the Globetrotters did not show blacks as stupid. On the contrary, they were shown as superior. Yeah. Uh, he was like, they're, you know, they're bringing this to an audience who maybe has never seen something like this. It's fun. They're really good at what they do and and stop with all that. Yeah, so they, they made it through that um, really rough tra- time. They had to navigate that because they definitely were old school black comedy in a time where that was increasingly looked upon as offensive to the, yeah. to the, the black community. So um, they, they navigated that. They, they managed to, and I think— I don't know how much they changed. I think they they just weathered that criticism and came out the other Not side, much. you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, one of the reasons they were superior, though, is because there was almost always a team in the Globetrotter history that was paid to lose to them. Yeah. Which kind of explains their 22,000 to 345 win-loss ratio. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, they went by different names over the years, the Boston Shamrocks, the New Jersey Reds, the Atlantic City Seagulls. Uh, but in modern times, we all know and love them as the Washington Generals. Mm-hmm. Uh, they used to be an all-white team. Uh, now the Generals are integrated as well. And, you know, it's a it's a gig where you get to keep playing basketball and you get to get paid for playing basketball. You got to be okay with being the you know, the sucker sometimes and to, to be pants and to lose. Uh, but these guys can play. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, the, this, they always could play. But, you know, this team that I just saw last year, like, these guys were good. They had this uh, they had this point guard that was just draining really, really long uh, jump shot three-pointers. Mm-hmm. Like, Steph Curry style, 6'7", Trey Young style, eight feet behind the three-point mm-hmm. line. And, like, you can't you can fake and and script things, but you can't you know make that ball go in nothing but net unless you're really good at that. And this guy was awesome. So um, they all were. Yeah, a handful of them have gone on to play in the NBA. So it's almost like the no, I'm not giving up yet. I'm going to play for the the Generals and then get back into the NBA. Almost like playing sure. in Europe. How a lot yeah, of people yeah. do that, where it's like the NBA doesn't doesn't take them for a year, so they go play in Europe somewhere and then try again mm-hmm. the next season. Yeah. I think that's kind of what the generals were for a while. But um, there was one instance 
where the generals won. And if you go back and read the 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 details of this game in January of 1971, um, it's not clear whether it was purposeful or accidental. But the 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 Globetrotters weren't paying attention to the score. They didn't need to normally. And the generals were starting to creep up on them. And it came down to, I think, a one-point deficit. And somebody took a shot, a guy named um, Lewis Herman Klotz, who helped put the generals together. Um, he was in his 50s. Yeah. He took the last <laughs> shot. And he, he sunk it and won. Accidentally yeah. won, according to a lot of people. Yeah. Amazing. It's like sort of at the end of a, a modern NBA all-star game when everyone's goofing off and having fun until like the last two or three minutes. And then they're like, all right, we want to win. Right. Apparent, and things get serious. Apparently Klotz's um, quote was, it was like we had just killed Santa Claus. <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> uh, that's funny. You know, you know, Scotty and I, uh, who you know, a friend of ours, he, he was the uh, DP for our TV show. Mm-hmm. And a very old friend of mine, we had uh, written some stuff here and there, screenplays and like partnered up here and there. And at one point we were writing a script on a uh, a Washington Generals team as the centerpiece, like thinly veiled. There would be a Globetrotters. They wouldn't be called the Globetrotters or the Generals. But uh, we just thought it was a really funny idea to follow this uh, team that always is has to lose and be the uh, the sucker that's getting pantsed. And then they come up with this plan to, like, win the game one time. So is it going to be more like a sports um, movie where, like, it's really about the game? Or is it going to be like Slapshot, where it's more about the lives of the people playing the game? More Slapshot than Hoosiers. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, But then Will Ferrell did that uh, basketball movie, and I think this is sort of around the, like, time we were thinking about it. Oh, uh, is it the same thing? Along. No, but it was just, I don't know. It was sort of like, all right, well, no one's going to want to make this movie because this one just came out, and did, I don't think it did very well. Yeah, I think that I think enthusiasm for that particular movie is cool. You guys can probably take a shot at it again. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of great basketball movies. Hoosiers is one of the all-time great sports movies, for period. Sure. Uh, but there's not a whole lot else. The Fish That Say Pittsburgh. What? <laughs> Do you remember that no. one? <laughs> this is a basketball movie. Dr. J was in it called The Fish Who Say Pittsburgh. <laughs> I remember that from when I was a kid. But yeah, not a lot of great basketball movies. Well, I say you and Scott should get to it, Chuck. All right. Maybe it's time. That movie has been forgotten by now. Well, since Chuck agreed to um, get back to producing his basketball movie with Scott, uh, I think that means that this episode's over and it's time for Listener Mail. Uh, yeah, let's get a good one. That was a, uh, that was a fun episode. I enjoyed that. I agree completely. It was a good episode, Chuck. Yeah, that was fun. And again, go see them, everybody. It's a lot of fun. They're, they're not filling arenas anymore, which makes me sad, but they had, a, they had a pretty good crowd. Good. All right. Uh, this is just a, a really lovely thank you. We like to read those every now and then. <laughs> uh, hey guys, you've been by my side for 15 years. Uh, you shared your voices, your stories, your laughter, and your curiosity with me. You've been with me through the highs and the lows of my life during my journey of moving multiple times, changing careers, surviving an accident where walking after was painful for many years, uh, recovering slowly from those injuries, hiking again, and coping with divorce. Uh, you've inspired me to keep exploring the world, to keep learning new things, and to keep finding joy. And every day, uh, you make me feel like I'm a part of your family, even though we've never met. Uh, look for an episode on that coming soon, Danny. <laughs> 
Uh, you are some of my favorite teachers, sometimes silly, sometimes serious, sometimes wrong, but always genuine and generous. This Danny's uh, got us pegged. I know. He didn't have to mention that, but that's fine. Uh, for 15 years, you have opened your hearts, your minds, and your arms to all of us who listen. For 15 years, I've been lucky to know two amazing dudes who make the world a better place. I hope you never stop making the show because I don't want to stop listening. Uh, I know that life is unpredictable and nothing lasts forever. Uh, so I'm excited to finally see you both at Nashville, uh, in Nashville on the 6th. So uh, Danny was at our show, and he just finishes out by saying, thank you so much for being the stability some of us need, uh, the platform of knowledge that help us leap into a land of wonder and learning, and just for being there for 15 years. Seriously, thank you. Yeah. And that is Danny Westfall. Danny, you, my friend, are the MVP. <laughs> yeah, you are. Thanks a lot, Danny. That was a really excellent email, and we hope you enjoyed the Nashville show. Uh, that was a good that one. That was a great one. If you want to be like Danny and write us a truly great email, we love those. You can wrap it up, dribble it on the bottom, and send it off to StuffPodcast at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts my iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold-pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.